You're listening to the One Small Bite podcast with me, your host, David Roscoe. For over a decade, I have built a successful nutrition practice, helping thousands of people thrive, nourish their life, and break the cycle of crazy diets. We will take one small bite at a time to transform your health and develop a positive relationship to food. So let's chop the diet mentality, fuel your body, and nourish your soul. Okay, are you ready? Let's do this. Hey everybody, welcome and thank you for tuning in to the One Small Bite podcast. And I'm your host, David Orozco. I'm really excited to share this episode with you. But first off, if you haven't yet subscribed, please, please, please remember, hit that subscribe button. And if you can, leave me a review as well. All right, so let's get into the uh, the weeds. Today I'm going to talk about chop the diet mentality. And so I want to talk first about weight. Well, what does that mean, right? Sounds good. Chop the diet mentality. Great. Well, you know, we're coming up against uh, the beginning of the year. And uh, we all know what happens at the beginning of the year, right? Everybody goes and wants to trim up and look better and all those New Year's resolutions come in. And so this is when the diet crazy um, circus starts. Yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about that. What does that mean? So um, the diet mentality, it takes on a lot of different um, uh, levels. It, there There are... A variety of different um, uh, meanings behind what dieting is all about. So let me talk about the obvious one. The obvious one is um, there's a diet out there, um, and I'll name a few, right? Whole30, Paleo, uh, Ketogenic Diet, Intermittent Fasting, Atkins, South Beach, just to name a few. And I will guarantee you in a few months or in a few years, you'll probably see a half a dozen more. Um, diets generally like those generally have about a five year lifespan, more or less. Uh, but, um, but let me, let me, let me get a little bit more specific about what that means because those diets have specific, um, guidelines and, um, ways of eating and, uh, rules and, um, yeah, I'm going to get a little bit more into all of that in just a second, but they are really a way of you essentially reducing how much you eat. Um, so I, 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 gotta, I have to admit that that actually sounds very alluring because the vast majority of the problem that I see with people and their diets, their health is overeating. That really is at the core of what's going on, overeating. But overeating can mean a lot of different things. I'm not talking about just the portion or the size of how much you're eating. I'm also talking about um, what time you eat, how much you eat throughout the day, uh, how much snacking or grazing or uh, the cravings and the uh, eating that happens mindlessly and unconsciously, maybe the emotional eating that's going on as well. So it does take on a lot of different forms. So overeating is really what we're getting at. So diets really tell us one major thing. Stop doing this and everything will improve. But here's the problem. These diets are designed to fail because the whole concept of a diet is that it starts and then it stops. A diet should not be something that we start and stop. Let me put it this way. 
eating doesn't just stop. We have to eat every single day of our lives. Food is the source, is the only and main source of fuel for our bodies. Now, of course, there are other sources of fuel. You'll get a little bit of energy when you work out, and that's because there's glucose in your muscles, there's glucose in your liver, there's fat that gets burned, and that then energy is utilized and burned off. But that only lasts for a little while. And so we have to replenish that fuel from food. We also have to maintain a regular, stable amount of fuel. So a diet actually intervenes in that. I have this great analogy of an oil rig. For example, anytime we diet, we damage the function of an oil rig. What? An oil rig? What is David talking about? All right, I love using this analogy with um, my clients and people that I work with. So what it is, is imagine an oil rig, right? It's tapped into the ground. It's got this drill, right? And the drill is tapping into fat, or I should say, reserves, petroleum reserves in the ground, in the earth, right? But those drills don't just turn on their own. Those drills need a motor. Well, that in our body is metabolism. That motor, that drill is then turned by that motor, metabolism, in order to pull out the fat, petroleum, and then that fat, petroleum, gets refined. It gets processed into a lot of different things. For example, hormones, insulation, immune function, brain cells, cellular membrane. It is used for a lot of things. Oh, and by the way, just a little bit of it gets used back into the metabolism. So it's a, not a closed loop system because what turns that metabolism or that motor? What energizes it? Food. You put fuel into that motor, that metabolism, and it runs your system. So what is a source of fuel? Yeah, three macronutrients. Carbohydrates, which is the main one, protein, which is the second, and fat. Now, what does that mean? Well, if I have a balanced plate of food, what does that mean? A balanced plate of food means fruit, vegetables, grains or starches, protein, dairy, and fats. When we have these six food groups, mostly in our meals, we're going to provide our metabolism with the fuel that makes it run efficiently and effectively. Okay? So pay attention to that because I think that's really, really key here. It runs effectively and efficiently. Anytime we have too much of anything or too little of anything, what happens? The motor, the metabolism doesn't run well. Now, the body has an override for that. So when we go on these crash diets, what ends up happening is that we lower the rate of which that metabolism is running or turning the drill. So we have a backup system to that. So it, in other words, the backup system is there to take up the slack, if you would. For example, when the metabolism drops a little bit, then the liver or your muscles start liberating glucose. Well, then that glucose is utilized to help burn some fuel. Now, there are some other substances that the body uses that regenerates sugar or glucose, but the body has to take that from somewhere, and that usually somewhere is lean tissue. It's not going to be fat. Remember, the drill is turned by the metabolism to pull the fat out, so the fat's not just there available to go ahead and fuel the motor. 
you have to have a fuel source. So the lean tissue and the muscle is there to provide some of that energy. But here's the funny thing about it. The very same energy that's used to turn the drill in our bodies to pull the fat out is then reused. In other words, a little bit of that energy is then taken back away from the drill and use back on its lean muscle and tissue. So therefore, you don't burn a whole lot of fat when you diet. When you diet, what you burn through a lot more of is lean tissue. So therefore, we lose a lot of water. So when people go on diets, and because every pound of muscle can hold up to three pounds of water, every pound of fat can only hold a pound of fat, what happens is that diet makes us burn through that lean tissue and we jump on a scale and voila, three pounds are gone, right? Yeah, that's the problem. The body looks at that lean tissue like it's, it's um, uh, savings account. You don't pay your salary from your savings account. It's also looking at it like your 401k. You're not going to pull from your 401k or your retirement fund to pay yourself a salary. No, that's not the way it works. So what you need to do is fuel yourself a lot of the time. I'm actually telling people to eat more. What more? More balanced eating, a balanced breakfast, a balanced lunch, and a balanced dinner. All right. So... There was this uh, uh, friend of mine one time who uh, said to me, well, David, you know, I think what's great is um, uh, I'm going to go ahead and start a ketogenic diet. And I said, well, John, do you, do you really think that that's a good idea? And, and, and he said, absolutely, man. My friend so-and-so lost like 15 pounds and uh, his cholesterol improved and, and his doctor said his blood sugar was improving. And I said, oh, okay, okay. So what do you think uh, is going to happen then in a few days? And he said, well, you know, I'm going to lose a pound. And then once I lo lose that weight, you know, I'll get back to eating all the things that I enjoy. And I said, you know, a ketogenic diet is about 80% of your calories to come from fat. That means that 5% or less is going to come from carbohydrates because you got to have some protein. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know. I'm really paying attention to some of that. And I said, okay, all right, I get it, I get it, I understand. So then a few months later, I caught up with him again, and I was like, hey, John, so how's it going with the ketogenic diet? And he's like, dude, man, this just, <laughs> this just doesn't work. I said, what, what do you mean? What are you talking about? You were so gung-ho, you were excited about it. He said, yeah, man, you were right. You know, I just, I really couldn't sustain not having any carbohydrates. I mean, it was really, really hard to try to find a whole lot of fat to eat. And man, did that get old fast. And he said, well, you know, I lost about 15 pounds just like my other friend and my health improved significantly. But you know what ended up happening? I started getting really bad constipation. And the worst part was I couldn't go out with a lot of my friends because every place I went, I was so tempted to eat so many of the things that were available. So this then gets into the five things that we really need to be careful of or pay attention to, the five diet traps to avoid. All right, you ready? Okay, here we go. So number one, if it's unsustainable, that means if you cannot do this for the rest of your life, then it's not something you should do. What I mean by that, what do I mean by that? Well, now, there are some diets that, for example, if you have a chronic illness, such as, for example, diabetes 
or hypertension, there are some nutri nutrients that you have to regulate. But it doesn't mean that you have to avoid them. It just means that you have to be very cognizant of how much you're putting in your body. So that's one thing. And unfortunately, for the rest of your life, you're going to have to sustain that. But it doesn't make you a hermit. When we have diets that keep us from a social engagement or it socially isolates us, that's a good indication that that diet is not going to be sustainable. If you're feeling cravings and temptations and urges to eat something that you want to eat but you can't eat it, that's going to cause more deprivation, which then enhances your desires. I guarantee you, my friends, you're going to want to eat whatever it is that you were avoiding or you're going to end up eating a lot more of other things to make up the difference. I see this when a lot of people go unhealthy into a plant-based or a vegetarian diet. Nothing wrong with eating plant-based or going vegetarian. But what often happens is that they swing the pendulum over way too far and what ends up happening is that they create some more desires. Well, if you don't have to give up something in your diet, then I would say it's not a good idea. And again, it is very rare for someone to have to give up something in their diet. There are some exceptions, right? For example, if you have celiac disease, that means that you have to watch out for gluten because the only treatment for celiac disease, the only one, is to avoid Gluten, that is wheat-based products or products that contain gluten, which is the protein that's the skeleton of grains. All right, so if it's unsustainable, then that's one main thing to avoid. So that, again, number one, unsustainable, avoid it. Number two, if it's unrealistic, if it has unrealistic outcomes, like for example, it says you're going to lose 30 pounds in... 15, 45, 30, 25, X number of days. You know what? That's not realistic. It's certainly not sustainable. The body is going to view that as starvation. And I will guarantee you that you're causing a lot more harm than good. So unrealistic outcomes. Look, you're not going to cure something by eliminating something. What you're going to do, what's more important, is to regulate or, better yet, to manage it. Over time, your body can adjust if we take a more balanced approach. So, if there's unrealistic outcomes, then that's a big red flag. That's number two. Number three, rapid anything. If you're going to do anything really, really fast... And then you can just go back to eating the way you used to. Or there are these phases, phase one, phase two, phase three, like there is the washout phase and then there's the reintroduction phase. And then again, there are some diets out there that are necessary for certain people. And another example is if you have IBS. When you do a low FODMAP diet, that does have phases, but this is research-based diets that really help a person discover what nutrients are affecting their health. Now, generally, some people lose weight, but that's not the goal. The goal is not to lose weight on this. The goal is to enhance IBS or digestive issues, okay? So rapid, quick anything is number three. We've got to be careful with it. That is a sure indicator that there is something wrong with this way of eating. Number four, rigidity. 
if there are stringent, strict rules, like for example, you can't have nuts, or you can't eat certain fruits, or you have to watch out for these color vegetables, or they have to be no nocturnal vegetables, or for example, you can't eat at this time of the day, but you can eat at that time of the day. These rigid rules make it, number one, unrealistic, uh, excuse me, unsustainable. Number two, unrealistic. That's not what the body is needing. Look, when you get up in the day, there are a set of guidelines that the body is looking for. The one guideline is, where's the fuel, right? And so the circadian rhythm, the way your sleep-wake cycle works is that it gets turned on in the day by light, but then sustained by fuel. And where do you get fuel from? Balanced eating. And then at night, it gets turned off. How? The lights are off and the body is tuned into, okay, time to rest. While you're sleeping, you will fast. So if you let the body do its job and do it well, you will not need a diet. So anything rigid that pushes against your body's natural functions which by the way, it does detoxify, it does cleanse as long as you provide your body with a balanced approach to eating. So number four is anything rigid you got to be careful with. All right, so number one, unsustainable. Number two, unrealistic outcomes. Number three, rapid anything. Number four, rigidity, and now numero cinco. So number five is endorsements. Oh, gosh, do I hate this one. Okay, this is a key. If you see an endorsement, and I don't care who it's endorsed by, if there is an endorsement, there's a likelihood that they have an interest in you buying the product because by you buying the product or the diet or the gimmick or whatever it is, they make money. Of course they make money. They're getting paid to endorse it. And oftentimes it's people with absolutely no scientific background. Now, from time to time, you'll see a doctor endorse a diet. Now, with all due respect to all of my fellow colleague physicians and healthcare professionals out there, there are very few of us that are trained in nutrition. Dietitians, registered dietitians, nutritionists like myself are trained in nutrition. That's exactly what we train and study for is diets, nutrition, and so I understand that there is a good amount of medical and scientific knowledge with physicians and nurses. Now, there are some other specialists that are out there that understand nutrition a little bit, but that's not their focus. Their focus is not on diets. And so then you get a doctor or a some kind of PhD that says, oh, this is what you're supposed to eat. Now, I get the allure of these because... Back in the early 2000s, or in my blah, 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 ages, <laughs> I, um, I too was suckered into this. I was all into the zone diet. And that was uh, written by a PhD, I think, uh, Barry Spears. And he was a bi um, what, biochemist, which, yeah, sounded great. But, yeah, 
biochemistry is not nutrition. There's a lot of biochemistry in nutrition. I absolutely love biochemistry. One of my absolute favorite subjects when I was uh, studying my my nutrition program. But but biochemistry is not the only thing that is nutrition. And so um, I didn't know that. But boy, it was I zo- so into the zone diet. And uh, yeah, I discovered soon thereafter that it wasn't sustainable. It just didn't work very long. And yeah, that's pretty much how the diets work. They just don't last very long. Okay, so let me recap. So one, again, five diet traps to avoid. Number one, unsustainable. Number two, unrealistic. Number three, rapid anything. Number four, rigid anything. And then the one that really gets me is the endorsements. So look, I understand. There are some diets that provide some good changes, right? Look, when I work with clients, one of the things that I tell them is, okay, whatever diet that you did, whatever one that worked really well, what was it about it that worked really well? Most people will say, well, you know, it was this thing, this one thing that I did. Or, you know, if it's a low-carb diet, it was just not eating as many carbs. Well, yeah, no duh. I mean, again, it's all about overeating. So I'm like, great. Then let's focus on how to reduce the amount of carbs. How much carbs are you, how many carbs are you eating right now? Or, you know, maybe it's, um, oh, yeah, when I was a vegetarian, I was really feeling fantastic. I'm like, oh, great. Okay. So then let's go there. So what about the vegetarian uh, style of eating did you enjoy? Well, there was a lot more vegetables and I didn't eat as much meat. I didn't feel as heavy. Okay, let's go there. So this is then my ask for you. In the next week or day or, or, or month, Think about a diet that you've done and ask yourself, okay, what was one thing that I can take from that diet that worked really, really well for me? And say to yourself, all right, what is it that I'm doing today in my diet on a regular basis? Let's look at some patterns and say, all right, where can I make a simple change? One simple change. I will guarantee you that oftentimes it's the difference between saying, hmm, versus, ugh. In other words, When I find the biggest change in clients and in people that I work with, the biggest difference is when people make a simple decision on to do or not to do something, but it's not going to change very much or very drastically anything that's going on in a day. Let me give you an example. Let me give you a simple example, all right? Say you're at um, the middle of the day and uh, you didn't get time to have lunch. It's now 2 o'clock in the afternoon and you're in your car and you're thinking, oh, I got to continue running these errands. Oh, I'm not going to go to McDonald's. No, I'm not going to go to Wendy's. No. Okay. Pick a restaurant and get something to eat because you're hungry, right? But your diet rule mind is going, no, 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 you can't eat that. That's not good for me. Or I've got to stay away from fast food or I can't eat these carbs. So go in. Let's make believe it's a chicken restaurant. Okay, go in, get a chicken, get a side salad and get water. Okay, it's not the best and healthiest thing. Definitely not something we should do all the time. But you know what? You now have got a good combination. You've got six food groups. If it's a sandwich, you got the bread. You've got the meat or the protein. That's number two. You probably have a fat in it. It might have been some mayo or it might be something else. And then you probably have a side salad. Of course, I just suggested a side salad instead of the fries. Now you've got three food groups. Number four, you might add a salad dressing. There's your fat again. And then probably the water. So you got four food groups out of six. Way to go. That's what you want to do. This 
is the ask that I have for you. Make these simple changes and you'll see that you'll be much happier in the long run. Now, we'll talk more about what to do about fast food in the future, but pay attention. We've got some more episodes coming up with some of this great stuff. But if you haven't yet subscribed, remember, hit that subscribe button. I really appreciate you listening in. And if you can, Make, uh, I mean, write a review for me. I would really appreciate that. And oh, by the way, share it. That'd be great even uh, uh, as well. Okay, folks, thanks for tuning in. And I look forward to having you on the show again. Take care. Take care.